Welcome, everyone, to Advisory Insights. Stuart Everman here with your host. Well, we've got a, a, a really, really good um, uh, podcast today. We're going to discuss cannabis. In later podcasts, we're going to discuss um, psychedelics, emerging markets. And today, we've got an extraordinary guest, um, Justin Orconi, and who is counsel to the firm. And, and if, you, if you know anything about Justin, he's got enormous credentials, um, which includes um, the co-chair for the Philadelphia Bar Association Cannabis and um, uh, enormous, enormous credentials, great articles. And he's going to do a series of podcasts with us. And um, Justin, thank you so much for, for joining us today. And there is so much going on um, in the cannabis industry. And with your expertise, you know, gosh, I'm looking today to cover, you know, the, the banking issues. And we've got legislation and we've got rescheduling. So um, really, with, without further ado, um, I, I'm going to let you really, really jump, jump right into this. And so give us a little overview of, of the cannabis industry as it stands. And then one of the things I want to discuss really is, is the Safer Banking Act, which is there's a lot of stuff going on. And, and you know, what what is it and how does it really what it, what does it have to do with the cannabis and the banking issue, which is very complex right now from a legislative standpoint? Stuart, thank you very much. And thanks for having me on the podcast, our inaugural podcast of, of on cannabis uh, as of counsel for Oberman Law, which is a great honor. And we're jumping into this kind of at the right time. So to say that there's a lot going on in cannabis in the industry is probably an understatement of the 21st century, um, only, only behind artificial intelligence, I would say. <laughs> um, right. Uh, but yes, there's an enormous amount going on in cannabis. And you know, I followed the market. Um, I own my own cannabis businesses. We've helped an amazing amount of clients um, get into the cannabis space, both existing businesses who have some great business acumen and want to get into a new industry, um, as well as large publicly traded companies that are focused on this and kind of have financed themselves in a unique way to capture a large market share. Uh, one thing that they all have in common is difficult access to banking. Um, the cannabis space has always been uh, on the fringes of federal law, as we know. And one of the things, because it is still a Schedule One drug, and we'll talk about rescheduling, like you said, Stuart, in some later podcasts. But one of the issues that are coming down the pike um, is this banking issue, right? And changing the script for what cannabis businesses can do with banks. The issue being that most banks, unless they are state chartered or they're state credit unions, are federally insured, right? That's that FDIC insurance. Everybody's aware of that, right? And they, they actually in, recently increased, I think, the FDIC insured amounts. Uh, thank you very much, but didn't help the <laughs> cannabis space, right? Yeah. Um, so because of this FDIC insurance, um, the banks, most banks that have that will not handle knowingly mind you knowingly handle uh cannabis business banking accounts and that goes for general operating accounts as well as loan or debt facilities right um and so over the years i would say since approximately 2014 maybe 2013 ish we've gotten some more state chartered banks to come on board 
and state chartered credit unions to come on board to service uh, the cannabis businesses and the cannabis industry because they don't have the FDIC insurance. They're state chartered. Right? Has it been all cash before all this? Stuart, it's amazing. So not only has it been all cash, but the procedures to transfer that cash and get the business credit for the deposits on your sales for that cash is a whole nother thing. So let's talk about that for just one second because you bring up a great point. Traditionally, cannabis businesses would always deal in cash. And we see that we've seen the program roll out in a number of different states, every state, by the way, different rules and regulations to follow, but kind of a common theme in that they businesses would receive cash, would of course uh, deposit in the drop safe on site. And, and this is, and by the way, we're really focusing on the retail sector right here in cannabis with the cash. And every week they would have a pickup, right? And the bank, whoever your bank was, uh, your state chartered bank or credit union would have a contract with a third party um, to provide the transportation services. And ironically, it was never Brinks, right? It was never one of the bigger outfits that would do this. Uh, they wouldn't touch it either, ironically, right? But it was smaller operations that would contract with the banks that then would provide the transfer of cash from site to the bank. Once it gets to the bank, they have to count it all and they have to transfer that to the federal depository, wherever that may be. Um, and that's when the business would get the credit on its books for the cash deposits. And as you, as I'm talking, you know, anybody who's listening to this can kind of think of, well, my gosh, so I receive the money. I then have to transfer it all. And I'm not going to get credit for it for usually sometimes two, three weeks after it's transferred to the bank. And it was, it was quite a conundrum for a lot of different businesses. Anybody who has any experience of business as a going concern can appreciate cash flow and the inability to recognize and realize your cash flow um, on a month-to-month -month or shorter-term basis, right? That being said, um, over the number of years, we have had some more banks come on board. And there was when, when it, it even got to the point where up until about uh, five months ago, you were able to go into a retail location, a retail dispensary uh, any in any state across the United States uh, that has a program with dispensaries. And they could run what's called an on-site ATM transaction. This would allow the uh, dispensary to use card services, swipe services as an ATM transaction. So they're not ringing up the full value of the product that was bought. Say you bought a product and the, and the total was $55, right? They would run an ATM transaction for $60, give you $5 back, and that would be it, right? And that's traditionally how they would do it. About five months ago, and, and, and there's some other third-party apps that allow you to upload monies onto a card, a pre, prepaid card. Think of like a, a cash card, right? Or some type yeah. of Visa prepaid card. And then you could use that card. It would be linked to your checking account. So you can fill it with money from your checking account. And then you can use that card at the retail location, right? And, and MasterCard was the largest provider kind of of those services. <clears throat> Excuse me. However, however, about five months ago, uh, MasterCard decided to shut down their services. So no longer right now, today, as we sit here, you cannot use the ATM transaction method pursuant to MasterCard at any retail dispensary in the United States. 
Um, it was a very big setback for the industry. Um, but nonetheless, it was something that definitely brought the issue to the forefront, right? And so now everybody's kind of aware of it. And it's put some of this legislation, which we'll talk about here in a moment, um, federal on the federal level to allow banks to come in and service all these various cannabis businesses, whether it be retail, cultivation, manufacturing, delivery, testing, what have you. Another layer to this, just to touch on it, not to focus, is the ancillary businesses that serve cannabis. Depending on your bank, some of the ancillary businesses, if they touch the plant, right, if their job is to come in and do inspections or if they come in and they're they're in charge of, you know, supplying pots you know, for all the various plants. And to do that, they the company contracts to have third party people come in to the cultivation and touch the plant and move the plant around. That third party company is going to be considered a cannabis related business, a marijuana related business, an MRB is what they've been tr traditionally called. And the reason that the banks do this is because they have to have certain compliance measures in place to make sure that the cannabis business is actually a cannabis business and it's not a front for moving money, right? And washing money. So to, because of that, they have to do something called Bank Secrecy Act compliance. And all the various state banks and credit unions uh, would have to do this Bank Secrecy Act, BSA compliance. And because of that, even though there was some banking available, right? I told you these state credit unions and state chartered banks were coming out and still are serving the industry. Um, they would have to prepare these suspicious activity reports, SARs, and those go along with the Bank Secrecy Act compliance. The suspicious, suspicious activity reports detail, it's basically know your client, right? Here's the business. We know who owns it. Here's how the money's flowing. And it makes sense, right? And they do all kinds of background. And because of, because of that, they traditionally would charge a fee just for having a bank account open for a cannabis business. So the fees were very hard. Or I'm sorry, very hard, very high early on, right? They are hard. They're hard to pay too. And <laughs> they would start out, they started out, it was like, 2014, 2015, it'd be about $3,500 to $5,000 a month just to have an operating account open. Now, those numbers, as we've had more state chartered and credit unions come online, those numbers have gone down, right? And you can look up on the Bank Secrecy Act, you can just Google this Secrecy Act website and, and suspicious activity reports. And there's a chart that will show you the flow of how many banks are coming online. So the, because of that, the fees per month have dropped significantly um, to $1,000 or less uh, uh, in most cases, but depending on your jurisdiction that you're in, but in most cases. Kind of another little facet to this, what people don't really think about is, and this, this cuts across both state and federal banking, is the ability for small business administration loans, right? So- and even though a state chartered bank can certainly service an SBA loan and process an SBA loan, the cannabis businesses are not eligible for any SBA loans. Over the last two years or so, we have seen activity such that these banks, forget the SBA for a second, these banks will give their own loans to cannabis businesses, provided, of course, that they show adequate operations expertise and collateral. Right. So usually that means the cannabis business has to be in operations for at least one year, if not two or three. 
and that they have significant control. And usually it comes down to the real property that can be collateralized to support a loan. So we have seen banks open up, particularly on the East Coast, you know, it's kind of where we focus our operations. We have seen a lot of activity on the East Coast with banks coming on now with what I'll call maturing, right, cannabis companies and be able to service their debt uh, facilities to the extent that they need it. Um, so, you know, this is all to say that this has been teed up as an issue, right? And so we have some legislation, right? Stuart, any, any more questions about that kind of before we move on to the legislation? Yeah, you know, I want you to talk about the uh, the Safer Banking Act. Sure. Legislation around this. And I know that um, there's, um, again, rescheduling is a whole nother topic for, for another day. But, but I want you to talk about, because it leads really right into the banking side, I, I want you to talk about the um, the Safer Banking Act and how that relates to yeah, I'm happy to. And and we've been following this this bill for a while. Um, it was originally called the Safe Banking Act, and they added some things onto it. So it came out of the House. It went to the Senate. The Senate actually passed a version, but they edited it. Of course, they amended it. And that always happens, right? Right. And <laughs> yeah. It always happens. And it, by the way, it's going to continue to happen with this bill. It's not passed yet. Um, so the latest iteration is called the Safer Banking Act, and this basically requires federal regulators to develop uniform guidance and examination procedures. Remember I was talking about the BSA compliance that all these various banks had to do? Well, there's not a uniform guidance for how to deal with cannabis businesses, particularly to Bank Secrecy Act and suspicious activity reports. So what it does is it lays a framework for these banks to operate under such that they can, they know, they're going to know exactly what compli have compliance they're going to have to do. And because of that, they're going to be able to, the bank is going to be able to control their costs so that they're able to provide the service without the hindrance of, uh, of fees just to have the operating account open, right? I mean, that doesn't exist in any other industry where you have to pay a separate amount of money just to have, by the way, that's per account. So yeah. and no business just has one account, right? So usually, have you, at least you have a depository, and and a and a and an operating account. And so, anyway, we believe the latest iteration of the Safer Banking Act um, is a a mature moment for the cannabis industry. It will allow federal banks to participate in servicing cannabis businesses, and you know. I remember originally talking about this and kind of, you know, going back to our discussion about FDI and FDIC insurance, you know, when I used to talk about this topic, people would come in and say, wait a minute, aren't all banks, don't all banks have that type of insurance? And the answer is no. Right. So everybody believes it because most of the banking is done with FDIC insured banks. Right. No doubt about it. You know, pick your bank. Um, they're probably FDIC insured. All of those, after the Safer Banking Act may be passed, and I'll tell you where that's going to be in a second, all of those banks sitting on the sidelines will now be able to participate, not only on operating account, uh, depository accounts, right, basically checking accounts, but also on the lending side for debt facilities, right, and other types of accounts. So it's a it's a very big this moment. Like brand new. This this is we're talking about the latter part of September. All this is sort of coming about, right? We're we we are. This is in real time. Yeah. So. We, we Right now, the bill is sitting uh, in the Senate. It's going to come out of the Senate. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be moved to the floor. It's going to come out of the Senate. 
the issue that we're going to have with this particular bill, unfortunately, <laughs> is then it's going to go back to the House. And the House right now, of course, I don't, we don't have to get into discussion. It's beyond the scope of the podcast. Um, yeah. They're a little disorganized. Let's just say yeah. that. And so I'm not sure, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's brutal. You know, it's... <laughs> We're gonna we we would hope to get some movement on this bill before the end of the year. Um, uh, we do anticipate the House getting their act together at some point. It's been I think 21 days, 22 days since there's been no speaker and no bills have passed at all. So there's a backlog already, right? Um, and the Safer Banking Act, I'd like to say, is at the forefront of that of those backed up bills. But in honesty, it probably is not, right? There's some other things that are in front of that. So. We're going to continue to monitor this. And I think, of course, once we have some more movement on that Safer Banking Act, then we can have another podcast and talk about actually what law has passed. Well, also, you, you've got the uh, the FinCEN um, chief testified about a year ago, I think, on this matter. And then, um, you know, Senator Schumer is very active in, in this matter. So what, what what do you think, you know, crystal ball, you know, what's the likelihood? Is it going to keep passing but different versions is it you know do, do we see this coming into the forefront for tax issues for revenue issues it always goes back to the money right always follow the money Stuart. of course you know yeah. um and so what we're what we're seeing here right now is a situation where individual states are doing a tax analysis to your point of is coming back to the money they're doing a tax analysis how much taxes are they actually collecting right now based on the state activities and then how much taxes is the federal government collecting based on the state activities right and right now and then this is a little bit of a different issue but we'll touch on it there's an irs section called 280e that doesn't allow cannabis businesses to take ordinary business uh, deductions can't deduct their expenses other than the cost of goods sold expenses the result of that is what happens is the cannabis business ends up paying a much higher tax rate because their taxable income is simply higher, even though they didn't take, uh, even though they didn't net that much, right? So it's an inequities in the amount that's taxed. Ironically, and this is very new information, what was recently discovered is as much as the as much as the state coffers are collecting taxes for cannabis businesses, believe it or not, they're getting a bit offset by a reduction in the amounts collected on alcohol and tobacco. Um, the marijuana industry is starting to take a bit of a cut out of those uh, those industries. On the federal side, on the tax side, the IRS is, as you can tell, right? The cannabis companies are paying a much higher rate. The IRS is having a field day. They are collecting way more money than they should. And so there's not an incredible impetus, right, on the tax side of it to get this passed. On the banking side of it, there's a big impetus to do it, right? Get certainty to the banks. Let federal banks participate. On the tax side, you're following the money. It's a little bit more of a mixed bag. So to answer your question, I think we should get some movement on this. And and you and you also mentioned the FinCEN um, uh, chief testifying. FinCEN, by the way, the the Financial uh, Crime Enforcement Network, FinCEN, and that's what governs basically all the financial transactions. Any private equity raises are all under come, come under the umbrella of FinCEN. And so that kind of testimony uh, is very powerful because the cannabis business has been 
the whole entire industry, any business in the industry has been financed both basically by private equity. So when you have FinCEN chief coming out and saying, look, we really need to get this done. He's saying with a wink and a nod, we need to get this done because there's too much private equity going on uh, with these cannabis companies, particularly as all these new states come online with adult use bills and the proliferation of these businesses. So to wrap it up, Stuart, I don't want to chew your ear too much is just to say that well, this is this is real time yeah. information. This, I mean, is, this is this is coming in, and we'll do an update. You know, as soon as we have the passage of the Safer Banking Act, and I think that's was going. I think that will happen before the end of the year. So, you know, it, it's it's being recorded, right? I'm on I'm on tape. Here we are. You're on you're on the record. Here we are. It's going to happen before the end of the year. That is that is the prediction for it. Absolutely, oh. Stuart. We hope to, we hope it does. Justin, thank you so much. And um, enormous information. You are on the front lines of this. Um, so it's really a, a privilege um, to have you on um, on the podcast. And we know there's going to be updates. And then uh, I believe our next um, our next podcast uh, will be uh, rescheduling. Uh, Justin, any, any closing remarks that you want to add before we uh, shut it down for, for this podcast? Stuart, thanks a ton for having me. Um there's a lot to uh, unpack and explore with all these issues. We can never do it justice um, on a podcast. So I'd encourage anybody who has any questions about this to certainly reach out to the Oberman firm and we can help you uh, get some good guidance that way. Yeah. Justin, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. See you now.